Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Fully Equipped. Obviously, it's been a very busy week when it comes to equipment releases. We've had lots of drivers, lots of fairywoods, lots of hybrids, and one of the series that was recently released, and you can go check it out at golf.com, as well as on all of our social handles, is the G430 line from Ping. Now, that line includes drivers, fairy woods, hybrids, as well as irons. And, you know, not too long ago, they also released the I-230 iron as well. So there's a lot to talk about. So with that in mind, we were lucky enough, Jonathan and I uh, traveled to Phoenix and got to visit Ping headquarters a little while ago to, to conduct part of our club test with uh, also one of our writers, Nick. So if you haven't seen his proving ground and his club test, you can, again, you can go check that out at golf.com. Talks about the experience getting fit as as a regular golfer, and I think that's one of those really cool elements of the way we've tried to do club tests this year, and that is to showcase the results of regular golfers and how it can be extremely relatable to your own game when it comes to goals and setting goals when you go into a fitting and working with a fitter. So again, there's a lot of stuff to go check out over at golf.com. Again, lots of videos, lots of written content, and include and we also have this great interview with Dr. Paul Wood. So again, stay tuned for the interview in just a moment here. And again, if you haven't checked it out, we did have an episode earlier this week as well. We got lots of stuff. There's so many club releases going on right now from our friends at TaylorMade. I was uh, I was kind of their test monkey uh, a little while ago as well. So uh, I did some stuff with with their products, and we're going to continue to do some more uh, more showcasing of kind of all the products that are out right now, just to kind of again show you how they relate to your golf game to help you become more educated when it comes to looking at new equipment for 2023. So with all that in mind, I'm going to turn it over to our interview with Dr. Paul Wood from Ping. Okay, well, Ping G430, it is a thing. And we always got to get the tech, get a little bit of story behind it. We got our good friend, Dr. Paul here. Dr. Paul, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? It's going to be exciting times here at Ping. I know every launch is, is special and, and everybody's got a hand in it. But G430, it feels like this one is a biggie. And I'm not saying that G425 wasn't wasn't a big launch, but this one feels a little bit extra special. Would, would you agree? I would. I would. I've been at Ping... 17 years now wow time flies um i honestly think as a whole line our testing would say this is the best um set of performance improvements we've had in a g line ever which yeah. is that's a big claim we've done a lot that's of a very, very good claim. golf clubs in my time but yeah. as a whole line from driver all the way through irons it's um it's pretty exciting there's major technology in all the new product and you know the proofs in the testing you guys are gonna hit some this afternoon yeah. right and it's exciting. Yeah. I I mean, I like all of our babies, but this is probably the favorite one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. What what is it from just I mean, so you're you're there in the weeds designing, helping craft and and bring a lot of these clubs to life. But as a golfer, like what what makes you most excited about G430? Let's just let's just talk drivers here. Like what's what's the one thing that gets that gets you going? Well, what I I think just, I mean, we're all sort of searching for that kind of, you know, that's that satisfaction of the one that you just catch it perfect and it goes forever, right? That's, I mean, that's that's why everyone loves the driver. There's nothing in any of the other clubs quite like that feeling of I just got every little thing out of that club that I possibly yeah. could. And, and we're seeing that 
a ton with the driver. It's it's been exciting. You know, I know we've been we've been able to get to the CT limit on drivers since I started in 2005. So people always ask, is there any more distance to be had? Well, uh, the testing proves it. We're we're seeing a few yards more on average with the G40 than 425. We're finding a couple of extra mile an hour, which is which is really exciting. Yeah. There's, and this is something that's interesting because paying historically for me has always been like stability is the bedrock of ping drivers. Like, you know, when you buy a ping driver, it's going to be stable. But this was the very first year that I can recall where, where you all really are pushing, or I should say being more aggressive when it comes to like the outright distance and the ball speed on this. Like, is that something that you've been like working towards? Was it something that, that came along just after 425 where it's like, look, we got to, we got to make a, a bigger push here for, for that, you know, pure ball speed. Um, yeah, to an extent. I mean, we're always trying to maximize ball speed. It's this trade-off, right? Designing a club is always about trying to maximize the trade-offs. So we can do things to be all out optimizing for ball speed, but we might take some hits on forgiveness. We can do things to maximize forgiveness. And sometimes you're taking a trade-off on, on flat out speed. You know, aerodynamics is another one, you know, that we can optimize for aerodynamics, but then you have you potentially have trade-offs somewhere else and sound and feel right which we know is huge and and right. we've worked really hard on i would say over the last few generations we've been in such a good spot on the moment of inertia and the forgiveness that it's allowed us to really focus on great let's keep that where it is we're already the most forgiving driver in the world mm -hmm. so how do we then keep that and add more ball speed and work on the sound together so the big improvements this year we're on the speed and the sound to go alongside the forgiveness already being there. So it kind of enabled us to focus on something else. Would you say that your level uh, or level of understanding of like where CG should be to help a particular player or how a club should be designed from not like, not necessarily an aesthetics point, but like from a performance point of view, like what you're trying to achieve once you've got that nailed down, like thinking of center of gravity or thinking of how a face is designed or how the geometry of a soul can best optimize, is that when you start pulling those other levers to really focus on, as you say, the sound or maybe the other side of this is, does it come from a design perspective that you're pushing the manufacturing or is it the manufacturing that pushes the, the ability to design? Yeah, that's a great question. That That's kind of the design and the manufacturing, you know, like a feedback loop. They're pushing each other, right? So we're always on the design side pushing the manufacturing. Can we get there? This is where we're trying to get to. On the other side, when you, when you improve the manufacturing side, you open up design possibilities. And then you're kind of looping all that in. It's, it's not a it's all important all the time. And, yeah. and it's, it's an easier story to tell of like, Hey, this year we it was all about ball speed, but the reality is it's this, you know, huge um, group of things we're looking at all the time and, and understanding exactly where to place the CG for a particular golfer. You know, for your swing, it's going to be a little different to my swing. Um, understanding, I mean, miss patterns is a huge one. So using our motion capture, and you guys have both seen our motion capture lab, really understanding not just how does everyone deliver the club, but how where do all the misses go? You know, what are the, what kind of parts of the face are you using? And then optimize the face for that. So we, we've carved out our own 
golf science team that's kind of separate from our design and our innovation groups that really focus on the modeling and the feeding what players do into our physics models and then using that to optimize things like face shape. So one of the big new things, the spin consistency that we brought in on fairway woods is on our driver this year. That's all based on what real golf was doing and then optimizing what's the right loft at this point on the face for this club, for the MOI that we have on this club, what's the right bulge and roll profile. So it all ties in together. Yeah, and, and I, that's really interesting because, you know, when you think about modeling and what that means, it all comes down to being able to capture data. Has that been a big part of the development process is from like previous, and I know you guys have Balnamic and all these other things that you're always looking at data, the ability to really kind of break that down deeper than ever before allows to really kind of focus in on like what you're doing with the actual physical product? For sure. I'd say it's one of our big strategic advantages now. We've always been really strong on the mechanical engineering and the how to, you know, push the boundaries of materials and how to push the boundaries of manufacturing. We now have a pretty big data mathematics physics group. I, mean, I remember when I started in 2005, we were just getting our first track man we were just getting the ability to take this data now we have a whole team and you've met a lot of them working on that feeding the data we get from enzo the data we get from arcos the data we get from our 150 track man units we own whatever it is <laughs> um, that's all being fed in and then and then it's all about how do you take that big data and have the mathematicians and the physicists to turn it into insights, right? The data by itself is useless. It's all about what insights do you get and how do I use that to make a better driver for you or for you or for me? Yeah, that's really interesting. I find that that to me is probably, because we talk about it all the time when golfers are like asking us things and like, obviously like you guys really use Arcos, you promote Arcos in your, in like when people are buying irons, like in reality, like they're helping their own game, but there's a lot of data and feedback that you're getting to better understand how to design, say, gapping of product or you know what a fairy wood should really do for approaching a green or off the tee all of that stuff kind of boils down to it right there are super selfish reasons for us using our as well <laughs> it is it's a great tool for the golfer it benefits golfers though it, yeah know. it does but it's a it's a win-win because you're exactly right when you look at a population of ten thousand golfers and you start looking at the patterns of where are people missing you know how how often are they going short left versus short right that kind of stuff um, you see some patterns emerge and it helps us design better golf clubs. I have not missed a green long left uh, in years. <laughs> My Arco's dad would tell me that. Yeah, you, you and me both. Uh, I want to know consistency for those out there that are listening that, that don't know what that is. Can you give just a, a short overview of that? But also I want to know, you mentioned it first started out in the fairways. How difficult is it? Because typically it seems to be the reverse. You see a lot of tech that starts in drivers that ends up in, in fairways. Very rarely, I feel like, do you see something that starts in a fairway that ends up in the driver? How difficult was that to kind of bring that technology into the driver? Yeah. Okay. I'll give it a go without getting super far down the rabbit hole because <laughs> well, this, 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 this can be 20 minutes this right a, here. Yeah, <laughs> this is a gear podcast, so you can get a little bit in the weeds. So Yeah. So I mean, the, the general, I'll explain it quickly. The, 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 the concept, why we called it spin consistency was we're looking for more consistent spin. Um what we're actually doing is changing the curvature of the face, right? So all metal woods have a certain amount of curvature. Um, usually that curvature is kind of the same in all directions. So you can imagine you're on the surface of a, a football, sorry, a soccer ball, a, a sphere, right? Right. So that would be consistent, what we call bulge and roll. So bulge is from the heel to the toe side, mm. roll is from the high to the low side. And 
what our spin assistancy face is doing is giving us different curvature at different points on the face. And, and somewhat simply, it is flatter at the top and it's more curved down at the bottom. So the loft is changing more rapidly low on the face on low impacts and on high impacts it's not changing as much so what happens on any metal wood is you know your high hits everyone's experienced it you catch one high on the face it launches higher but it also doesn't spin as much so you get that like high launch and depending on your personal launch and spin conditions it might fall out of the sky pretty quickly you know the, the spin can get too low if we're not careful yeah. on the other hand when you hit low on the face you get that ball that starts low and rises and often looks like it's going to go miles but because it has a lot of backspin it, it's actually losing a lot of distance because it's ballooning and it's kind of coming down steep and not rolling um particularly on fairways that's a real problem so we tackled it on fairways first because that low impact on fairways and you get a lot of those hitting off off the turf rather than off a tee yep. it was kind of a more important problem to solve on fairways was can we avoid that one that that rises too much and you lose a ton of distance. And so the effect on our fairways and our G425 fairways is visibly when you hit one low, it actually comes out lower because there's less loft down there. And so it kind of looks like it's less consistent, but because the spin isn't so high, it doesn't rise as much and you get more distance. So you don't get that ballooning shot. Um, and we'd kind of questioned in our own world, in our golf science world, is it going to be that much bang for our buck on the driver? too like is there a point where the driver gets too low mm. launch but through all of our testing through through that big data science kind of stuff we we found that yeah actually on a driver we can make it work too particularly for kind of higher swing speed players where keeping spin down is important um you know for lower swing speed players keeping the launch up is more important for high swing speed players keeping the spin down can be more important so that low hit i mean i'm definitely in this category when i catch one low and i'm getting the spin in the three three and a half thousand RPM range, I'm losing a ton of distance. So mm. with the spin assistant face, now my low hits, the spin is still higher because there's still gear effect, but not as much. We're using the low loft to kind of counteract it. You're kind of counteracting the gear effect. Want to know who came up with spin consistency and if they got a nice little bonus for that one? <laughs> you, you really don't want to see what the process is like for naming stuff. Apparently. I actually, I actually think that's one of the most interesting parts about this. Is I mean, for for Ping, they're very consistent. You have the I series and the G series, but the, the names of like different pieces of tech on the clubs, like spin consistency. The first time I saw that on the ferries, I'm like that. It's one of those. It's it's kind of like. Um, like when you see a post-it note and you're like, man, why didn't I think about that? Kind of the same way, like <laughs> yeah. consistency. It just like rolls off your tongue and it just seems to fit that club. Anyway, I was there must be a whiteboard around here somewhere that just has like words scribbled all over it. Yeah. Or maybe or you guys are a little more advanced than the whiteboard at this point. I mean, we throw a lot of stuff at the wall and some of it sticks. Um I, yeah, I, I it's a little goofy, but I kind of like names that are at least somewhat intuitive, right? You hear spin system, and at least you get an idea of what is it, what's it doing consistent spin so everyone has an opinion on names so. <laughs> so ping did something with the new lst that we haven't seen in, in recent years and that's that's the addition of of carbon mm -hmm. and in this carbon wrap on on the driver in the fairway and you know Ping for me has always been one of the last to really embrace some of these technologies that we've known, like the adjustability. Um, one, 
kind of why is that? Because I'm sure golfers probably wonder, like, well, like carbon's been around. I've seen it on other drivers. Why is it just now coming out? Uh, you know, why is it prominent on this driver? One and two, it feels like the LST, the driver in the fairway, got this special treatment. What's what was kind of the reasoning behind giving it a little bit more? Uh, you know, some bells and whistles. Yeah, great, great questions. Um, and I'll do my best to not take ten minutes over. <laughs> but it's a it's a tricky one. So I think you're right. We have tended to be slower to market with some of these things that have been adopted by everyone, like adjustable weights, like um, adjustable hosel, like adjustable hosel. And the main reason being, we are one hundred percent focused on performance, and, and not to say that other companies don't care about performance, but the way things work at Ping, and you know, our CEO and our executive chairman, John Soheim, John K. Soheim, our engineers, they care about the performance first. And our job, my team's job, is we have to prove it perform better before it's allowed out into the marketplace. So a new feature doesn't get to go on the club unless we can prove in testing that it did better. Um, and so with the adjustable hosel, that was a great example that I remember very clearly John A., sat down with the team and said, you can put adjustable hosels on as soon as you can prove to me that you've taken no backward step on center of gravity, on um, aerodynamics, on any of these things. And that's actually a challenge because you're adding weight to the hosel to add adjustability. It's a feature that's valuable. You can switch out shafts. You can change loft and lie. Players have value in that. But usually there's a hit. Aerodynamics are not quite as good. It's a bigger, fatter hosel. Right. You're adding weight high. That's that moving the center of mass high, which makes it more high spin. You know, it's a hard thing to explain to people out in the field that that's that's the trade-off. But that's our world we live in. And so, we did adjustable hosel once we'd proven that we were actually net neutral on weight and net neutral on aerodynamics. In, I was gonna say like you had adjustable hosel in reality, like back with the ISI Tech. There was the we didn't. If there you, was like yeah. the TPU. Because, like, again, I'm a golf nerd. I was, like, <laughs> I remember all this, like, weird geeky stuff. But, like, I had an ISI tech, and I was always looking. It was, like, there was the RSS, which was, like, the mm -hmm. regular, like, standard. And there was the RUS. It was, like, standard loft and upright. Or you could get an open one or all these different, like, configurations. But that was built into the club through, like, a, a like a plastic insert, which I think was, like, really right. cool. So you're but it was saving hard. weight. Yeah. Accounts hated it because it was really difficult to reshaft and that kind of it stuff. It was a nightmare. But that was the very first driver I ever reshafted. And those are the So after that, everything I'm was easy. you stayed in the industry after everything that. Everything was easy after that. That was the crazy thing about that. But. And that's exactly the trade-offs, right? So everything comes with some kind of what's the pro and what's the con and, and adjustable weight channels, right? It took us a long time to have an adjustable weight channel on the back of our driver because – when you build the channel, you're adding a ton of weight, just, you know, all the mechanism to yeah. hold the weight. And and that takes a hit on center of mass and moment of inertia. So we found a way to do it right at the back of the club where we wanted to add the weight anyway. So we were kind of getting a double win of, yeah, we're not just putting adjustable weight, we're adding it where it helps inertia. Um, but that's, you know, and so then back to, so why does the LST have a carbon fiber crown? We've never been pro-titanium, anti-carbon fiber, it's all been about how do we save the mass in a way that gives us the best center of mass and gives us the best moment of inertia. And the challenge is the carbon fiber crown itself is lighter. The layers you have to do to fix the carbon fiber to the titanium add weight in places you don't particularly want it. So it's this trade-off of I'm gaining here and I'm losing there. <laughs> and with the LS Tech, we got to a point in our 
in our personal kind of manufacturing knowledge that we could do it. And with the LS tech, we're trying to move the weight a bit more down and not down and back quite as much. Mm. That's the trade-off. The LS tech is lower spin because the CG is a little further forward than a max and a little lower. So you, you have a slight trade-off in forgiveness. In, in flat-out forgiveness, the max is higher than the LS tech. But for someone that, you know, reducing the spin by four or 500 RPM and still having a lot of forgiveness, but not quite as much, right. it works. Yeah. So in that chassis, we were able to execute carbon fiber on the crown and we couldn't quite get it to be better on the max. Now, does that mean that next time the max might have a carbon fiber crown? Who knows? We'll see what the testing says. You heard it here, folks. Heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you never say you, you never say for sure and you never say never because it's what is the testing show. And but I, I think that's like I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because I think golfers look at new products and they wonder like, well, why did this one get carbon fiber and why did these two not? And does that make this one superior and these two inferior? Like in, in the, as you're saying at pulling, and you mentioned this initially, like pulling the levers, like sometimes like pulling a lever, like there maybe isn't a benefit to adding carbon fiber to everything. But I think that's what goes to show like ping is very thoughtful I've always said this, they're very thoughtful in, in their designs in questioning whether something is really worth adding, not just simply going, well, everybody else is doing carbon fiber, so we might as well do carbon fiber as well. And, you know, it's, I, again, I, I think it just shows it in this lineup that if it doesn't fit every model in the lineup, like the Max and the SFT this time around, don't use it. Yeah. No, and that's it. At the end of the day, for us, it always comes back to, is that the best performance we can squeeze out of that club with what we know today? And sometimes that makes the marketing team's job a little more tricky. It's a more complicated story to tell, but mm. that's kind of always the answer with Ping is it ends up back to, did it do the best in our testing? Do we think this is the best foot forward to give you performance on the course? With the, specifically LST, but like in club design altogether, as some of the best players in the world, and you have some of the fastest players in the world on your staff, like Cameron mm. Champ, who has some pretty unique launch characteristics with his driver. Wilco. Yeah. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, there, there's some serious speed on the pink staff. Has that forced a different type of design for those type of players? Like as I'd say golfers in general have gotten faster, have you had to tune those clubs that are geared for those players a lot differently than you would have in the past? Um, you know, I think, I think there's a reason why a lot of, the really fast, really good drivers of the ball play have grown up playing pin clubs because, you know, you think of the pros as like they don't miss the middle of the face much. You don't need to miss the middle of the face much when you swing at 120 miles an hour yeah. to really need that forgiveness that a high mower inertia driver gives you. So people like Champ, people like Wilco have grown up trusting that the ping driver helps them out when they slightly miss hit it more than any other driver out there. And so they've kind of grown up getting great results out yeah. of the pink driver and not wanting to, to, to move. So, you know, that's a good message that like a high moment of inertia driver really helps everyone because it helps the beginner who's hitting the whole face and maybe doesn't have a ton of speed, but is using the whole club. It also helps the pro who's the misses maybe more like this, but at 120 miles an hour, that gets magnified. So kind of everyone benefits from a more forgiving driver. I always think it's one of the interesting things you'll hear from people is, Oh, I hit it pretty straight. It's like you're also only swinging at 80 miles an hour, let's say, right, as an example. So if you hit it in the middle, you're going to hit it pretty straight in general. But with gear effect and with speed, 
like, uh, you know, that's just going to, it's exponentially more offline. And I know one of the things I talked to um, Marty Jertson in the past about like strokes, you guys use strokes gained a lot to talk about if an amateur player hits it further and even if it's a little bit more offline, you're actually gaining more because the distance is so much more valuable versus that slightly small amount offline, right? There's that give and take, just like the levers. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's kind of personal equation for what is, you know, it, what's more benefit to me, gaining three yards or gaining a little bit of straightness. Everyone's personal equation is a little bit different, right? I'm pretty long and exceptionally wild. Like, <laughs> I'm more on the more forgiveness really helps me out. You know, someone who's not got a ton of speed and is hitting, if you're hitting 80% of fairways already, your equation is going to be more like, let's get you some more distance and you can probably afford to be a little more wild. Yeah. So everyone's equation for their strokes gain is a little bit different. So with the, with the LST, it, it has, as I mentioned, it has, has carbon fiber. It has the tungsten weight in the sole, has beta tie face. It's, it's souped up. It comes in, in one loft. If, if golfers see that, and they're going to say, okay, it's it's low spin, but like, what are the benefits of of a club like that versus like, you know, some of the other three woods? What what are they going to see out of that one that they might not see out of the three wood they have in their bag right now? Yeah, I think you know, for the right player, for someone, for someone who's maybe on the higher spin or the higher speed end, bringing that spin down—that's what the the low spin technology does. Right. Getting getting that you know high enough launch. You know, you're not trying to launch a fairway wood into orbit but you're trying to get it up in the air and then keep it there um can really add quite a bit of distance without for the right player without a big trade-off in accuracy you know so some players what we've seen in our testing some players are going to hit the max better mm. you know a little bit a little bit more spin um still on the low-ish end but you know we're not optimizing low spin as much on that club but more forgiveness the ls is is we're seeing like five, 10, even more yards of distance for the right player. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty high spin fairway wood player. So for me, bringing the spin down another 500 RPM on a fairway wood is huge. I'm more in that, you know, 10 more yards. Right. Um, it makes a big, big difference. I saw during, and like, it's not just to your point, right? You don't have to be at like a, a tour player or a specific skill set to be fit into a, a particular golf club because when I was in Las Vegas during the tour launch and your reps were out there, they were busy. <laughs> they were very, very busy running around. Uh, a player like David Lingworth was using, was getting into the Max Fairywood because from like looking at his dynamics and kind of like peeking over and looking at the numbers, like he hits a draw. Like I don't think I don't think he's ever seen a golf ball go left to right. So that draw creates some pretty low spin. So I had a chance to talk to him and and hang like and hang out with them, but like run into them and like get some of the vans and stuff. And it's just like, you know, I want to hit it high. Like I need to hit it higher. I need to see it land at a certain spot. And people think like the, I, I always say that's one of the most interesting things is if you ever go to a tour event, they hit their drivers very high and they hit their wedges very low because of the, the goal of like high launch, low spin, but being able to control distance with, with spin. And obviously you guys do a good job with that with your wedges and wet conditions and conditions in general. But it's you don't have to be a, partic a particular player to fit into it. It all comes down to what fits your player profile, because the golf ball doesn't care who's hitting it. It's just looking at launch and spin. Correct, correct. And I think you know what's great working with tour players is they are very data driven. It's their job, right? They're, how much they earn that year depends on 
every shot counts. Yeah. So, so they're very data driven. Um, I think a big learning for for the average golfer is you know we we sit down with the tour players and we really talk about what are you trying to do with that club? Like what are the shots you need to hit? You know, the fairway wood's a great example of you know, everyone's a little different about what they're asking that club to do. What is the miss they're trying to avoid? Do they, is it mostly off the tee? Is it mostly trying to squeeze onto a par five in two? It, it, there's a whole range of different things you might want a three wood to do. Similar with wedges, right? What, what shots are important to you with wedges? And make sure that you hit those shots when you're actually choosing a new wedge or choosing a new fairway wood. It's, to take that idea and move it into the hybrids, like we talk about the new hybrids now, the, the the higher lofted ones are specifically designed to create higher angles of descent, whereas the 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 lower lofted options are designed a little bit more for distance. Like there is that transition through like the product line for players that need like a seven iron hybrid, but then someone who's using a two iron hybrid or 19 degree or what, I don't remember the exact number, mm -hmm. they're trying looking for a very different trajectory because the person who's using a seven or eight iron, let's say seven iron hybrid, doesn't need a two iron hybrid. Yeah, I don't think there are any of the same customer buying the seven hybrid and the two yeah, hybrid. Yeah. So we're not designing them to be a set you buy from two to seven. We're designing the five, six, seven with that customer in mind and we're looking at the test profile of who's looking at those hybrids and what's their speed and what kind of angle of descent works for that versus yeah a two hybrid is a very different thing you know that customer is going to have more speed to start with they can they can get more of their stopping power from you know just the balls coming down from a higher max height to start with that kind of stuff do you want you know i use my two hybrids and off the tee club that's a very different thing than someone trying to hold a green with it so yeah a lot of variety in there and that's where the adjustability is very helpful as well last one for me you know we've we've talked a lot about the, the distance in the in the ball speed in these clubs. But one of the things that I've been hearing from tour pros is a lot about the sound and feel. And you know, I think I think weekend golfers probably would look at like the, the LS Tech and go, well, it's carbon dummy. You know, that that plays a huge role. But there's a lot more that went on to improving the sound of these drivers and that can you just kind of get into a little bit about the improvements? Because some of those improvements can't be seen for sure they're inside they're inside the cavity of the driver head yeah i mean and there's some truth to what you said that adding carbon kind of pretty much guarantees that you'll temper the sound down and, and get a softer sound in fact actually with with clubs that have a lot of carbon in the challenge can be making sure they sound lively enough mm -hmm. and that, that you don't some of the early attempts at carbon fiber drivers sounded really dead i'm sure you hit a few of them yeah, um for sure you know and that is the challenge carbon fiber wants to sound a bit more muted hollow body very thin titanium wants to ring out and sound like a cowbell so our challenge with an all titanium club it's great for performance but is how do you damp it down you know how do we get less cowbell so if anything i'm actually more proud of the work we've done on the 430 max driver which is all titanium and using strategically placed ribs we've been able to we do a lot of stuff called modal analysis where you simulate where is the sound coming from on a club? You simulate an impact, you look at all the different modes of vibrations and through our knowledge, you can look at, yeah, that particular mode of vibration, which is coming from that region of the club is the one that's making it sound bad. And you're putting a very small rib in there. So it's all internal, like you said, you can't right. see it. We're adding as limited amount of mass as we can, just, just enough to damp down some vibrations and make an all titanium club 
sound really pleasing, which is quite an engineering feat. You guys should put that on a T-shirt with Christopher Walken, like reverse of like the SNL skew. Yeah, like I was waiting less for you to say that. I looked over at RB and he's kind of like, oh, that was a good one. A yeah, cowbell. now, now less cowbell. Less cowbell. There you but go. But anyway, I don't. And I think the the difficulty is like what sounds pleasing to everybody is different, right? Like the, I I don't think the four twenty five sounded bad at all. Right, but it's it's just. Yeah, so I think I mean me personally, I thought I thought it was a little bit on the latter side. And I think it also depends on where people get fit too, right? People indoor versus outdoor fitting is always kind of difficult because if someone's in a wear, like we're nice, we're in a in a sound almost like I won't say completely soundproof booth, but we've got paneling on the side here. Like this kind of acoustic would be very different if you were hitting in like a a cinder block concrete room. You'd have two drivers that sound very different but it, they're actually the same it's true hitting indoors you get a lot more echoing of things um hitting outside on the course is a whole different experience where you stand when you're listening if you're standing you know behind your playing partner hitting you get a different experience than if you're the one hitting yourself yeah it's a challenge and there's certainly some trends you know faster swing speed players tend to want the club to sound quieter because you're getting a lot more decibels out of a club right we're, we're getting above 100 decibels for the fast swing speed players, someone who swings at 80 miles an hour isn't getting that decibel level. So they actually might want to bump it up a little. So like yeah. you said, it's hard to please everyone all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, it's, I just I always find that really fascinating, like the sound element of it, because it is, it is very player dependent, but there's so much that goes on internally that golfers don't see. So when they're trying to figure out like, wh what is the difference? I mean, a little rib here. And if you think of, oh, it's a weird analogy, but you think of, the the inside of a driver is a room in your house. As soon as you start putting furniture in it, right, the room sounds different. Like the acoustics of the room change. So like those little ribs, if they're wherever they are in the head, is going to make that sound reverberation around like break it up and going to mute it down, right? For sure. And and what's important with golf, and I, I think it's probably not talked about as much as it could be, is the sound of the club is important for just your own personal likes and dislikes but it, it's part of the feedback loop that you use as a golfer that's part of the sensory information you use to learn about the shot you just hit and figure out how to do the next one better and whether it's on a driver or an iron or, or particularly on the putting green those vibrations you feel the sounds you hear are part of what your brain uses to go right next time i'm gonna do this you you may not be thinking about it it's subconscious but so yeah the sound is important for performance as well as you know just the satisfaction I always find it interesting when like, and you probably experience this with, with your fitters here and just fitters in general is like a, a fitter can be behind a golfer and someone will hit it. And I always find it funny when like I'm watching a fit and someone will like, oh, you hit that high toe and the golfer will look back at the fit and go, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I can hear it. Like I just, I know what it sounds like and I've heard it a thousand times. So like it is cool how that feedback is so important. Yeah. And we did some tests at least a decade ago now where we, we put noise canceling headphones on players and you really reduce their ability to figure out where on the face it's they cool. hit it. It's a cool we idea. We use that sound a ton. So yeah. It's quite disorienting. Actually. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine actually that would be, it would be uh, like, and I can think too, like I know, like I've worked with deaf golfers in the past. Like they, they, they struggle a lot of times like where they hit it because, and obviously they're they're They figured out other ways to be in tune with their golf clubs, but that is an interesting element of like, the sound and feel like sound is feel for a lot of like tr like transfer of information to your brain and how it comes back to like what you're going to do on the next shot so yeah this is very interesting yeah fascinating topic i think we're just scratching the surface of that right now
now I'm going to go home and use my noise canceling headphones out on the, the range. Yeah. <laughs> see, see what happens. <laughs> this is fun. Dr. Paul Wood. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask one more question? Yes. Like, we'll like just do it separately. Yeah. Like we can have it something separate. Cause I think, yeah. I know Nick, we were talking, I was talking about a little earlier. So like, um, so one of the things you guys at Ping do, which I think is, is, is fascinating. I know you spearhead a lot of this is adaptive golf and figuring out different ways to allow, and you just, I know you posted a video of a young guy who was just hitting a, a golf shot for the first time um, with an, an adaptive golf club and like how cool it is to like see someone be able to play the game because again, similar to like launch and spin, golf ball doesn't care who's hitting it. The golf course doesn't care. That's one of the things I love about the game is that you can, basically anyone can play. So what is it like working with uh, adaptive golfers and also solving problems to help them just enjoy the game of golf? It's probably the coolest thing in the world is the quick answer. I, I think of all the things I do at Ping and I love it, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing industry to be in and job to do. It's probably the thing that gives me the most satisfaction because um, golf is a great game for people with disabilities. It's um, we can make adaptations to the clubs. There are all kinds of, things out there like you know assistive golf carts or, or devices and things that people can use to kind of help um it's a you know it's a self-timed game you know you can set up to the ball in your own time you can take your time over it you can play from different tees um i think all that stuff makes it a just a great game that like you said anyone can enjoy and and, and one of the first um wheelchair golfers that i work with said what he loved about golf was it's the same sport. He's like, I'm playing the same sport as you. I'm not playing wheelchair basketball, which is a great sport, but it's not the same as regular basketball. He said, I can play with you. I can play with my son. I can, <laughs> the one thing that stuck with me, he said, I can suffer how annoying it is to miss a three foot putt, just the same as you. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what you're picking up. That's the joy of it. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it, you know, he can have the exact same challenge. Now he had a lot more adaptations to his clubs to help him get on the course than, than I did, but we could, as he put it, suffer the game just the same. Um, and as an engineer, it's great, right? Cause there's some really interesting challenges. The video I posted, we use these special paddle grips. If, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a young lad who um, has nothing past about here on his arms. And, and so the challenge is how do you grip a golf club if you don't have any hands at all and he had, we used this paddle that he could put it up on his armpit and get him swinging and and he was making contact he was hitting great shots and we had to drag him off the range i mean his parents are going hey the bus is leaving this thing's shutting down <laughs> you've been here two hours hitting balls it's dark outside like how cool is that yeah that's it is it like i it's one of the things like i really like about golf is because you see I, and I, I use this, I use the, I use the wheelchair basketball analogy. Like I could go play. Right. But I, I, and, but it's a different game to like regulation basketball. But if you are in a, like a pro, if someone want, got invited to play in a pro-am or like an event, they're playing with the same PGA tour player on the same golf course from a different set of tees. And they're all playing the same sport. And again, like to the paddle, I've seen, I know you put, again, you posted a picture, you can go check it out on, on, in, on your Twitter mm -hmm. of like all these different devices that all they're basically doing is connecting the person to the golf club to allow them to play the game. And I think that as part of like solving an engineering problem to me is like really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, we're just trying to lay the foundation 
<clears throat> for them to be able to develop their golf skills just like anyone else, right? We're not trying to hit the ball for them. We're trying to enable them to be able to like let their skills come out, which is great. And there's some big tournaments now. Um, I was actually just talking before this conversation, I was just talking to the uh, USGA about their adaptive open. That so now we know who host. you were talking to on the phone before That's you it. got here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, but just talking about, they they have the adaptive open um, at Pinehurst. They're doing it again next year. Uh, we sponsor the US Disabled Open, um, which is going to be in, in Florida in May. Um, there have been a couple of European tour events where they've invited some of the adaptive golfers to come and play. There's a there's a hope that it'll get into the Paralympics, and 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 to me that's huge because, you know, that goes out in front of hundreds of millions of people, and if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. So if you can see people, that's why I post some of these pictures. It's not so people can go, oh look at Ping, they're doing a nice thing. It's, look, you could do this if you want to get out and golf. We can help you. Yeah, I and, think, and that's cool. Because, you know, the the difficulty difficult thing that golf struggles I think sometimes is like it being an exclusionary sport. Like that's not beat around the bush when it comes to like the history of the game, but the ability to have it be something that anyone can play and see representation within the sport, especially with people with disabilities to me is something that I find like, again, that's why like I like sharing when you share that stuff, it's an immediate retweet all the time because I just think like if one other person can see it, it's like, wow, like, like I've like again worked with golfers that have like played with one hand, and to be able to make big grips and put like kind of tacky wraps on grips to make them go out and play and counterbalance them and do all these different things from a club building side of things, which for me is very basic. Like, but for you guys, you you're starting from scratch, and I always think that's really cool. And from a representation standpoint, I think that's why. I, again, I want to talk about that because I think it doesn't get enough conversation around it because what you guys do, I think, is really cool. That's great. And and honestly, we are starting to see more momentum. I'm getting a lot more requests for fittings and, and requests to, to try things out. And so, you know, I'm now looking for a bit of, of help here. We're trying to figure out how, how I can make it someone's, if not full-time job, at least part-time job to really help us work on some of these things because we are getting more demand. So it, yeah. that's great to see. That's a good problem to have. That's cool. Thanks for talking about that as well. My pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Paul Wood from Ping. We always love when we get the chance to talk to people behind the products because, you know, we can only put so much into words when it comes to uh, what we create, when it comes to articles and things like that. So when we have this opportunity to have this this long-form conversation. We always really enjoy being able to do it. I hope you enjoyed it as well. So again... Remember to check out all of the content we have over at golf.com. And we got two episodes. So if you if you haven't checked out the one from uh, earlier this week, be sure to check that out. And uh, again, I hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of Fully Equipped. We'll be back again next week.